Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. Selling a piece of jewelry like an engagement ring or wedding set can be a nightmare, but Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to work with you and for you to get the best deal on your piece. And if you're thinking it's not worth the hassle, remember that your diamond engagement ring can be the financial asset that allows you to embrace that fresh start after divorce. Worthy helps you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a $100 gift card when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. This episode, we're talking about nesting or birds nesting. That's when you keep the marital home, the children stay in the home, and it's the parents who rotate in and out of the home. When it works, it's a great option. It's not easy and it's not straightforward. Joining us today is Dr. Anne Gold Busho. Anne is a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in family issues related to divorce and co-parenting. She's also the author of The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for having me. So I looked through the table of contents on your book, and I know that in our very short time together, there's absolutely no way we can cover all the ins and outs of bird nesting. Gosh, there's so much to think about. I wanted to start by asking you, What are the situations where bird nesting is an absolute no-go? Don't even think about it. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Good question. Um, Because I would say for the most part, people who are committed to the benefits of bird nesting, even when it's difficult, can be successful. But when it's not going to work is when one or both parents have untreated mental illness or addictions when one parent doesn't really want to be an actively involved parent, or in a situation where parents simply cannot come to any kind of negotiated agreement at all. Right. And would you include if there's been domestic violence in there, any sort of abuse as well? Yes. uh, Domestic violence or intimate partner violence, we call it now, or sexual abuse or any, yeah. Right. And in the lead in there, you mentioned about being committed to the benefits. So maybe that's where we should really start is is for me to ask you to share with our listeners, what would be the benefits of this type of arrangement? So it's a co-parenting arrangement that keeps the kids in a stable, secure place. In other words, when parents decide to get a divorce, maybe one parent has made that decision. My thinking is that the parents should bear the burden of that decision. And when you ask children to go back and forth between two homes because the parents have decided they can't live together anymore, you're putting the burden on the children. Bird nesting keeps the kids in the same family home that they've been in. And then the parents take turns being on duty with them. So the kids' lives are less disruptive. They have time to get used to having one parent at a time. They get used to all the other changes that may come with the parent's divorce, but their lives are less disrupted than they would be if they now find themselves having to go between two homes. Even if parents only do it for a short time, 
there's benefit to that for the kids because they get that sort of softer startup to the divorce process. That's an easier transition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your words just ring true to me and I'll, I'll share, you know, it was sometime after my own divorce that my son shared with me and he was 11 at the time that we got divorced. He did, and I think that this is probably when he was a senior in high school, he said one day, he said, you know, mom, you and dad got divorced, but it was us that had to do the work. We had to move between the two houses. And that's exactly what you were just saying. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, And kids that have to go between two homes, they never like it. It's always a complaint. And when you're bird nesting, you, the parents, are taking that burden and having to pack and unpack and move in and out. And parents hate it. It's not easy. And yet later, when they do move to two homes, if that does eventually happen, they'll have more empathy for what their children's experience is when their kids forget their soccer clothes at the other parent's house or their homework. So even, again, nobody likes having to live in two homes. But if parents can do that, at least for a while, it'll make it easier for the kids later when they have to go back and forth between two homes. The parents will understand what they're dealing with. Yeah, more empathy. Yeah. If we could talk about some of the situations where parents might seriously consider doing this. I live in Colorado and where I am, home prices right now have escalated significantly making it extremely difficult often for one parent to buy the other parent out of the marital home, or even some people are having to sell the house because they have no other option, but they can't stay living in the same town because they can't afford to buy in the same town anymore. So I was thinking that that's a situation where nesting might be a really good option and something to really seriously consider, especially if say your youngest child is a year away from graduating from high school. Right, right. During COVID, so the book was published in September of 2020, which means I wrote it in 2019 and 2018. During COVID, there were a lot of families that were perhaps on the verge of separating and then COVID hit and they were in lockdown. And so I had a number of clients who were basically forced into nesting because they didn't want to be together. So these are clients that had already made the decision to divorce and were already in quite a bit of conflict. It was the the sort of the beginning of the crisis. And now they were sort of involuntarily nesting. Even those people could do that. And again, it wasn't easy. And that's why I wrote the book, because there are there's some step-by-step guidance that if people know what to expect, they can avoid the kinds of sort of catastrophes that can make nesting fall apart. And that the business with being able to afford two homes, that's that's a, a problem in almost all divorces. So you take family income that has been supporting one home and now you're dividing it to between two homes, everybody's lifestyle is going to be impacted. Yes. When you're nesting, parents can be quite creative in how they set up their off-duty arrangements. In other words, if they are able to not stay in the same home like so many people during COVID, they might be able to stay with friends or family when they're off-duty. I've had people stay in their offices with a fold-out sofa. Again, not ideal, but cheap, right? I had one client who was able to stay in the church where he attended because the minister had a room there that he could stay in. 
um, when I got divorced, which was, I hate to say it, almost 30 years ago, we actually nested. This is how this whole project got started for me. And I rented a room in a shared rental. So I had five roommates, you know, here I'd been right. married for 20 years and I was like back in college with five roommates, <laughs> but it was, it worked for me and it was very cheap. And my ex-husband had a girlfriend at the time and he stayed with her. So it's not, sometimes people think you have to go out and rent two apartments in order to make this work. If people have the resources to do that, that's wonderful, but most people don't. And it doesn't have to be that way. I've so also had like, some people, they rent a single apartment and the parents are moving in and out of they're that. They're sharing and, that. I mean, I think maybe if you can do a single apartment that has two bedrooms, that might be the best option because then you still both have your private space. Mm-hmm. But People can share an apartment if they can work out agreements around you know, the condition in which they leave it when they leave and and not bringing in dates or new relationships. And, you know, they'd have to have some pretty clear agreements about how they would share an apartment. Sometimes people do Airbnb because if they're off duty for a week and on duty for a week, for example, then during their the time that they're not parenting, which I call off duty, they might do an Airbnb, um, but they wouldn't need to pay for it during the week that they are back in the family home. There are a lot of different ways that people can set it up. Right, right. And your point about an agreement about sharing the off-duty home, you have to have the same agreement for sharing the nest. Absolutely. And in the family home or the nest, it's ideal if each person can have their own bedroom, but that's not always possible. It wasn't possible in, in my divorce but we had agreements about changing the linens before going off duty. Sometimes people can rearrange the bedrooms so kids can double up maybe in a bedroom so that each parent can have their own room. I think it's really important for each parent to have some separate private space in the family home that the other parent respects and doesn't go through their computer or their papers or whatever. There have to be agreements about what the privacy boundaries are also. And that seems like, especially important if you don't have a stable off-duty place, like if you're doing Airbnb, because you are going to have possessions that aren't going, you're not going to be able to carry around all the time with you. So it's good to have one place for those and to know that they're Mm -hmm. safe and secure. That's right. Right. I'm working with a family right now that's been nesting for almost a year She goes to her parents and she stays there when she's off duty. And he rented a very small apartment. They've been able to make that work. They also, another case, they got an Airstream, you know, like an RV vehicle that they use as the off-duty living site. There was a TV show called Splitting Up Together on ABC for a couple of seasons. They used the garage as their off-duty. They kind of remember that. I think I remember that show. Yes. And then the parent that was off duty went out to the garage and that's where they stayed. So there, I think people can think outside the box a little bit and make it work. And how do children adapt to the idea that, you know, if their off duty parent is in the garage, how do they children kind of adapt to the idea that this is the parent I go to now? It can be confusing for kids. Again, if the parent, if the off-duty parent is in the home, whether in the garage or in the home, like during COVID, many were, there have to be agreements between the parents. But what happens when their child wants to go to the off-duty parent for something? 
what about access to the kitchen? You know, who do, do you still have meals together or do you have hours where the off-duty parent can go to the kitchen on his, on his or her own? Everything about nesting is about having very clear agreements. Agreements build trust. Keeping agreements builds trust. So in order to make nesting work, having very clear agreements where you can predict the kinds of things that could go wrong, that's the key. So that's where my book comes in is over the last you know 25 years, I've worked with a lot of people and have learned the various ways nesting can go wrong. And the answer is just by working out a clear budget, how nesting is going to be funded, specifics about communication between the parents, specific boundary rules like dating and new relationships and whether that comes into the home, which it never should. And, you know, agreements about the condition of the home. Right. We're going to take a short break, but I want to come back to those agreements and what can go wrong in them, because I'm I'm thinking about just think back to your college days and your worst nightmares with your roommates. And those are all the situations that you can call upon to sort of talk about what goes wrong. But let's come back to that. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your rings from dusty relics of hard times to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, partner with Worthy. We're ready when you are. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about bird nesting, a child-centered solution to co-parenting in divorce. And my guest is Dr. Anne gold Welcome back, Anne. Thank you. Before the break, you were talking about the importance of agreements and how fundamental they are to having a successful nesting experience. And I wanted to talk more about that. Do people put these agreements in writing? Absolutely. So there are templates in the book, Parents Guide to Bird Nesting. There are templates in there for working out the agreements. And the agreements would cover everything from schedule, when parents are on and off duty, how the transitions happen, what happens in an emergency, whether dating is permitted, and if so, what does that look like, and protecting the children from that. Any other kinds of agreements about the house, like who takes care of maintenance or... Just thinking about grocery shopping and food yes. in the fridge and, yes, you know, I love to bake, but does that mean that I come home and everything I baked is gone? And <laughs> well, that's, I mean, those are the kinds of agreements people make. Are there dishes in the sink when you come home? There was one family that I worked with where their, their grocery list was about three pages long that... They wanted to make sure every time a parent came on duty that those particular groceries were in the home. I thought at the time that that was a little controlling and a little excessive, but having 
the expecting to have basic staples in the home is reasonable. To know that there's milk and or bread in the house is really important. So having those agreements is critical, and not having the agreements and having things go wrong could spell the end of nesting. But it doesn't have to because it is also impossible to predict everything that can come up. So in the book, I've got a number of true stories of working with clients where things did come up that could have derailed the nesting and didn't because parents were committed to making the nesting work for their children's benefit. Right. So yes, and I agree with you completely with the fact that you can never write an agreement that will cover every eventuality. I mean, who the heck thought we'd be dealing with COVID and all of the issues that that has raised. But maybe in your agreement, you can say that if there is something that comes up and that isn't covered in our agreement, we agree that we will meet with a therapist or a mediator or somebody who helped you with your, your divorce to seek resolution right. before deciding to end the arrangement. That's right. Right. Or sometimes they, I mean, they may need to get the help of a outside neutral person, but they don't necessarily have to. Right. I mean, it depends on what goes wrong. So for example, um, one of the stories that I tell is about a parent who let their children stay up way too late on a school night. And the kids came back to the other parent and said, we got to watch this t- you know, violent movie and didn't go to bed till 11 o'clock at night. That could have derailed it. But the mom who heard that was able to calm herself down and contact the ex and say, this is what I heard. I thought we had agreed to this and thus and was able to say it in a neutral, somewhat friendly way, but firm. And the other parent was able to respond by saying, yeah, I screwed up. I'm really sorry. That won't happen again. And they were okay. But the other story that I tell is about the mom who came back into the home and found a used condom in the bedroom. And that didn't go over so well, right? So having agreements, I I stress having agreements about dating and new relationships because those can be particularly triggering to people. I was going to ask you if, you know, I was wondering about what was the most common reason for nesting arrangements to end. And I was thinking that it might be dating and new romantic partners. Sometimes people have an end date in mind when they start, we're going to nest till the end of the school year, we're going to nest until our, you know, until the house is sold, there could be an end date in mind at the beginning. But if there isn't, if it's open ended, then I think one of the agreements has to be that you'll give each other 90 days notice, so that you can figure out what your next steps will be. And a lot of times that happens because of a new relationship. Someone is, parents get tired of going in and out. They're they're like, okay, we've done this for a year. We don't want to do it anymore. And besides, I've got a new relationship I want to focus on. And that's often a reason to end. Right. But I did work with a family that nested for six and a half years. Even after the kids were in college, the mom would come back and stay in the house when the kids were home from school for winter break or whatever, even when the kids were already in college. So people can decide that the benefits of the nesting so kids can just have one home to go home to, it's worth it. It's worth the inconvenience to the parent. So that sounds like a wonderful success story. I do like to stress to my mediation clients that this is an opportunity for them to have an agreement that works for them and their family 
that might look very, very different from how a court would decide. That's right. I mean, obviously, a a court's never going to order nesting. That's right. I like where we've gotten with people ending marriages now, where they do have so much more flexibility than it seemed that they had a long time ago. And you were a trailblazer with nesting. So it's encouraging that people have more options now, more tools to use. I like to talk to people about having control over the decisions they make for their family. That's the beauty of mediation. They have much more control than having an outside decision maker like a judge. And nesting, they know their kids and they know where their kids' strengths and weaknesses are. The one thing parents almost always agree on is they love their children and they want their kids to do well, even if they don't agree about anything else. They do agree about that. And this gives them some control over how to protect their children. Nesting gives them some control over how to protect their children from the damage that divorce can cause. One of the other situations that you talk about in your book that I thought was really interesting and I hadn't thought of was where parents have a special needs child. Yeah. And the moving between the two homes would be especially emotionally challenging for the child or if they, the house has been physically adapted for the child's needs, where right. it would make it difficult to find another home with the same sort of adaptations, or it would be a significant financial expense. Yes, that's right. And kids who are fragile physically or emotionally, the less disruption, the better for them. So being able to stay in one home, or at least for some period of time, there's an adjustment period. Most people think for kids, it's an average of a year or two for kids to adjust to divorce and all the changes that happen. So the nesting gives them that time to slowly adjust without their lives being turned upside down, particularly if they're fragile. Right. So in terms of ending the nesting period, is it smart to think about that in terms of, again, trying to lessen the impact on the children. But I was just thinking maybe you can have it review it at the end of the school year. So if you ended the nesting, you'd be ending it not within the school term. That would seem to me to be less disruptive. It would give people maybe the summer or the winter break to adapt to a new living, living situation. Yeah. Parents who nest are quite willing to set us, not willing, but they decide to set aside their own emotions to prioritize their children, their own needs even to prioritize what their children need. And if that's their mindset to prioritize the kids' needs, then having that conversation about how can we end the nesting in the way that's going to be least disruptive to the kids. That's, that would be an important conversation to have. I also think the nesting agreements should be reviewed periodically anyway. I usually say three times a year, just for planning purposes, that they plan their summer activities or travel. They plan for the holidays for the fall semester and the spring semester. So that agreement is kind of a living document that has to work ongoing as kids grow and as their circumstances change, as parents' circumstances change, the the plan has to be adaptable, it has to be changeable. And what in your experience have you seen put into nesting plans about what happens to the home when the nesting arrangement ends? I I know the courts where I am want to see some sort of a reluctant to accept, I don't know that they would even accept an open-ended 
we're going to stay in the house until we don't want to anymore. There has to be some sort of exit strategy and then something about who's buying out the other person or what's going to happen to the house equity. I mean, that has to be addressed. You can't just kick that down the road. Right. So the people that I work with are all doing either mediation or collaborative divorce. So their marital settlement agreement would probably address that. And it might be something like when nesting ends, right? Dot, 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 we'll sell the home or dad will buy mom out or mom will buy dad out. Right. And go into how the house is valued and the figuring out what the house equity is at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the meantime, that nesting arrangement talks about the division of who's paying, you know, how does the mortgage, the real estate taxes, the homeowner's insurance. Right. Right. How did that? All of those, the utilities in that get split. Right. So that's the second big piece. The parenting piece is one big piece. And then how the nesting is funded is the second piece. And in the book, I've got templates for various budgets that people can draw up. And people can decide that they're going to keep a joint account as a nesting account, as a family account, just to cover the house-related expenses and kid-related expenses. And how that account is funded depends on their income sources, right? If both parents are working, they might decide to each put in a certain amount every month or each put in a certain percentage of their paycheck. And if one parent is working, then that parent would have to agree to stick to that budget and and fund that nesting account with that income. I think it's important when people are separating that they also have discretionary accounts that are private. So that's part of the conversation is that parents could have some money that they can use during their off-duty time for their own entertainment or eating out or whatever it is that they want to use it for. And presumably that financial agreement also covers the expectations for handling the expense of the off-duty accommodation as well. Yes. And that's part of the, the negotiation. Right. How those expenses are paid. Wow. And we're almost up on time here. I wondered if you had one more success story you would like to share with our listeners. Well, I thought that this family that nested for six and a half years was my success story. And then I did a presentation to a whole bunch of police officers one day. And one of the police officers came up to me afterwards and told me his parents had nested for 12 years. And I was pretty amazed that this was something that that they had done. It really comes down to putting your kids ahead of yourself. And when you become a parent, you do that anyway, right? How much do we sacrifice for our children? We're always, we always want our kids to do well. And with a divorce, which can be so damaging, and we've got all kinds of longitudinal research that talks about how damaging divorce can be for kids. You're giving your children such a gift when you're able to set aside your own emotions and focus on how to make the divorce, how to keep them from carrying the burden of the divorce. Right. Well, Anne, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. I wish more people would nest. I think it's such a wonderful thing for children. Listeners, my guest today was Dr. Anne Gold-Bushow. Anne is a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in family issues related to divorce and co-parenting. She's also the author of The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, which is available on Amazon. 
It's a terrific resource for anyone who's considering nesting. And you heard us talk about all the templates and the guides in there. So it's it's well worth investing a little bit of your time and exploring. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. Worthy is a selling partner with an online auction platform designed to help you sell your jewelry, such as an engagement ring or wedding set. When you decide to send your ring, Worthy takes care of the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely at our New York office. Once your jewelry arrives, the team at Worthy professionally cleans and photographs it before sending it out to a grading lab. All of these steps are designed to maximize your price in Worthy's online auction, where hundreds of buyers compete for your piece. One of the best parts of selling with Worthy is that you are completely in control. You'll work with Worthy's team to set a reserve price before the auction starts, keeping you in control of how much your ring sells for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send your ring back to you and we'll even cover the costs of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what you want to hear. We look forward to hearing from you. And you can also find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast.